Well, hey there, Gateway, great to be with you again. Uh, I want to jump straight in to the Bible. Yes. So if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, pop that open to Matthew chapter 8. Now, Matthew was one of Jesus' four biographers. He was also one of Jesus' hand-picked followers. Um, and he recorded some of the highlights of, of Jesus' public life and ministry. In fact, immediately preceding the slice of history I want to drop us into today, Jesus had just taught his first message, his first public sermon. And we've come to label that the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and it contains a whole bunch of his greatest hits, which is kind of not surprising when you think, you know, Jesus, like, first time out of the gate, I'm going to hit some of the meaty stuff. And uh, I encourage you, read chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's biography of Jesus. And it's just, it's just full of bangers. Um, but, but immediately after Jesus had finished teaching, he, he started to walk down this mountain or down this hill. Um, and he was approached by a leper, a guy who had leprosy. And this leper, by approaching Jesus, he broke a whole lot of rules in that moment. See, in that culture, uh, to have leprosy, leprosy would, would have been kind of like an umbrella term for a bunch of skin conditions, like gross skin conditions. Um, and uh, in that culture, it wasn't considered just a medical issue. It was also looked upon as a spiritual matter. See, what the people in that time, the Jewish people believed is that if you were sick, it was a consequence of either you or your parents having committed a sin. Uh, so people would see a leper and project guilt and shame onto them. And so this leper is walking around, not just with a medical issue, but also weighed down under a sea of guilt and shame. And the lepers, because of their physical illness and because of their spiritual uncleanliness were expected to live beyond the city limits and they weren't to come in and of course no one was ever keen to get out to them either so jesus has just finished teaching the sermon on the mount and matthew records then a leper appeared and dropped to his knees before jesus praying master if you want to you can heal my body well, Jesus reached out and touched him, saying, yeah, I want to be clean. And then in there, all signs of leprosy were gone. Now, it says a lot about Jesus, about who he is, that a leper who's meant to be staying away would actually come into the public sphere and then approach a rabbi and feel comfortable to do so. In fact, there's records of these sort of things happening where the leper would have just as likely been stoned to death by onlookers for breaking the rules. Well, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus did the opposite. Jesus extended grace to the leper. Now, grace is a churchy word. I'm going to come back and double click on that later. So just hold that thought. I remember the first time I ever flew business class from Orlando to LA. I'm sitting in the departure lounge uh, of Orlando Airport, having booked my economy class ticket. And um, it's pretty common for uh, airline, domestic airlines in the US to overbook flights. 
And then what they'll do, if, if everyone turns up to get on the flight, is they'll offer incentives for some people to take the next flight or the next day's flight. You know, we'll give you a $100 travel voucher if you take the next flight. They need to get four people off that flight because they've overbooked by four. Anyway, I knew that, but I'm sitting there in the departure lounge in Orlando and I hear my name called out over the PA system. Well, with Mr. Mark Pomery, please come to the boarding gate. And I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking they're gonna bounce me onto the next flight. They're gonna offer me a $100 travel voucher. I don't even live in the US, so I'm not even gonna be able to use that. So I'm pretty ticked off. I get up, I, I'm, I'm walking over there, I got some attitude, I'm ready to kind of, you know, go to war. And uh, the staff member said to me, uh, Mr. Pomery, would, would you like an, uh, an, uh, to upgrade to business class? And I'm like, um, what's that gonna cost me? And she said, no, 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 it, it's free. We, we, we want to upgrade you to business class. I'm like, heck yeah. Man, I'm telling you, first time flying business class, it was immediately obvious to me that the only two things that business class and economy class have in common is the city they leave from and the city they arrive in. Everything else is different. First of all, when you're boarding the plane, they greet you by your name. Welcome aboard, Mr. Pomery. Not uh, <coughs> seat 37F, Nick off. Um, I sit down, Mr. Pomery, would you like a drink? I'm not even thirsty. I'm like, yeah, I'd like a drink. Uh, how about today's paper? I'm like, sure. Which, which paper would you like? I'm like, bring them all. Um, you've got extra leg room. You get served a meal on real plates with real cutlery. And best of all, they have wider seats, which means that you don't have to bump forearms with the bozo sitting next to you. You've got your own real estate as armrest. So anyway, I arrived into LA, ready to board my connecting flight to Sydney, my economy class connecting flight to Sydney. And I don't know, but I seem to be on a roll because I got another upgrade, complimentary, to business class, a 17 hour flight, business class, I'll take it. Well, this is international. You get a lie flat seat bed. I was flying Qantas. They give you a complimentary set of pajamas. And I'd seen people with those pajamas on when I'm, you know, previously I'd gone on international flights sitting behind the curtain. And I'm thinking to myself, what a pretentious schmuck. Well, I gotta tell you, I couldn't wait to get into those pajamas. I put them on, I was tempted to go into economy and do a lap, uh, but you don't do that. You stay on your side of the curtain. In fact, I was reminded of like, you know, what's the curtain about anyway? I mean, it's not soundproof or anything. I now know what that curtain's for. It's so that people in economy can't see what's actually happening up in business class. Because if they knew, there'd be a riot, I guarantee you. So. Uh, I'm in business class. Now, here's another thing about business class. It is, uh, I think it's statistically proven that uh, people who fly business class are less likely to be a serial killer. Um, so therefore, 
it's actually okay to talk with them and maybe share some you know, personal details, where you live, what you do for a living. So I'm there, I'm spark up a conversation with the guy next to me. Turns out he's the CEO of something, 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 something. Well, here's the thing. He paid for his business class ticket. He deserved to be there. I'm sitting next to him in business class. I had no business being in business, but yet I was there. And this is an example of how grace works. So, in fact, let me give you a definition of this churchy, bible word, grace. And it simply means undeserved favor. It's this idea that God doesn't just love you, because, I mean, he's meant to, right? But he also likes you. He wants to do good things for you. He, he's personally interested in you. And he, and he wants to initiate his grace. We, we, we don't have to earn it. In fact, we can't earn it. That's why it's called undeserved favor. Right now, uh, as I'm recording this, um, I'm watching and following the NBA playoffs. And they're down to the final four, or what we call the semifinals. And um, every play matters. Every shot matters. Every free throw matters. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing professional basketballers when they're shooting free throws. Literally, that's the only time in the game where they get to shoot the ball without any other factors interfering. So you'd expect them to be hitting every single free throw, but they're missing a lot. And cause me to just look up what is the current Guinness Book of World Records for the most consecutive made free throws, just in an attempt, not in a game. Uh, and I was surprised to learn that it, it wasn't held or isn't held by an ex-NBA player. It's actually held by an ex-dairy farmer named Ted St. Martin. <laughs> now, let's play a guessing game. How many consecutive free throws do you think Ted St. Martin made to set the world record? Let me give you three, multiple choice. Choice A, do you think it's between 100 and 200? Choice B, do you think it's between 200 and 500? Or choice C, do you think it's between 500 and 1,000 consecutive free throws? Well, the answer is 5,221 consecutive free throws. It is bonkers. Now, imagine if God said to you and me that in order to have a relationship with him, that we would need to make 10,000 consecutive free throws. And you'd be like, that's impossible. And the fact is, it is impossible. So with that in mind, let me, let me show you something that is completely bonkers that Jesus said during his Sermon on the Mount. He told the people gathered there, unless you do far better than the Pharisees in the matters of right living, you won't know the first thing about entering the kingdom. Now, the Pharisees were like the Michael Jordan of the religious world. They were like the MVPs of right living. They, they had it all figured out. You know, the Jewish religion had, had over 600 laws and, and rules. 
And, I mean, you, you not only had to remember them, I mean, some of you can't even remember your own phone number, uh, possibly. You, you not only... They, did they remember the 600, but they were famous for keeping all 600. Um, you know, they, they, they had it dialed in. They weren't playing around. Some of them, in fact, many of them, would have had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized by the age of 12. And then Jesus says to us, says to the people gathered, unless your right living exceeds theirs, you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. Well, it's like, what's that about? I mean, that is impossible. Well, Jesus had actually just buried the lead a few moments earlier when he said this. Don't suppose for a minute that I have come to demolish the scriptures, either God's law or the prophets. No, I'm not here to demolish, but to complete. See, Jesus never broke any of the 600 laws. And so his living, his right living, did actually exceed that of the Pharisees. He made the 10,000 free throws. He paid the price. He got it right. And here's the thing. We get the upgrade. We get the prize. We get set free. We get forgiven. We get to be a new creation. And we didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. And yet, because of his grace, he made it possible for us. Now, grace doesn't just happen or get given to us when we make the decision to make Jesus our Lord. You know, in church world, we call that event salvation. And it is an event. Uh, Grace is given to us and made available to us every single day thereafter because God wants to transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus. He wants to take us to new and better places. He wants to improve things. And he gives us grace to, to power that process. And, and the church word for that is called sanctification. It's this ongoing thing. It's available for us every single day to allow us to continue to be transformed. Now, if you uh, own an established home or you're thinking of buying an established home, possibly for some of you, it's not yet the image of the dream home that you have in mind. You, you maybe like the location, maybe it's got good bones, but you, know, you can see some areas for improvement and, and, and you've got this picture in your mind. Well, you really have two choices and they are renovate or detonate. And I know you know this. Um, well, here's the thing. God has an image of us. He has a picture in his mind of who he created us to be and we're not there yet. And so he's there thinking about areas in our life that he wants to renovate. 
and he's thinking about areas in our life that he wants to detonate, like get rid of completely ways of thinking, ways of speaking, ways of acting that it's like, no, I'm not even going to bother trying to fix that. that. That just needs to go completely, detonate. And he doesn't just have that vision for us. He extends the grace to us to allow that process to happen. If you're trying to do that by yourself, you know what's called self-help, how's that working for you? You know, when's the last time you've thought this dumb thought or said this dumb thing or done this dumb thing and you've thought to yourself afterwards, why did I keep, why do I keep doing that? All right, tomorrow it's going to be better. And then tomorrow you think it again. You say it again, you do it again. And it's, it's like we have to play a part, absolutely. Um, you know, go to the counseling, read the books, go to the conference, listen to the webinars, get around wise people who have the fruit in their lives that you want to see produced in your own life. So absolutely, we have a role to play, but the power that drives the process is God's grace. Not just self-help, but God's help. And here's, the, uh, here's my final thought on this. As you go through this process, as you allow God to work in you and through you and transform you, don't settle for close enough. Now, Louisa, my wife and I, about 18 months, we started a... a, a an extension and renovation process at our house. You know, it wasn't the dream home, so we got busy. We decided to to renovate, not detonate. And so this extension uh, project began. And when the extension was finished, we, you know, kind of moved in or expanded into the extension. Um, And uh, one of our team at Elevate actually gave us a a housewarming gift, a a plant. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So, well... (sighs) I, a few months later, I was talking with her and I was telling her about how I was having to, you know those blue Ikea bags? That Ikea actually advertise about how many uses they have in, in outside of an Ikea store. Well, I was telling this team member of ours that I was using them to cart my laundry, my dirty, schmutzy, stinky laundry to the local laundromat and back on my Vespa, by the way. And she says to me, like, uh, I thought that whole project was finished. And I'm like, oh, I think she might want her house plant back. And I'm like, no, 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 the extension part's finished. Uh, but now we're renovating some of the original house. And at the moment, we're having the laundry renovated. And she's like, oh yeah. And, well, here's the thing. We started this process, or this project 18 months ago. and I've still got a list. In the industry, it's called the punch list. And I've got that on my devices, the punch list. And I've got the punch list. And here's what I do. I look at the next item on the punch list, and then I schedule some time, and I get the resources or whatever I need to do. Or if it's above my pay grade, I'll get a trade-in to do it, whatever. But I'm just going to keep 
working my way through the punch list until there is no more punch list. And I don't even know how long that's gonna take, but I'm not gonna stop until it's finished. And like it or not, although I, I, I'd encourage you to like it, God has a punch list for you. And He's got a punch list for me. It's, it's, it's areas for improvement, areas for growth, areas for transformation. And He doesn't want to stop working through the punch list until He gets to the end of the list. And it's complete. And that's not going to happen until we graduate to heaven. So don't stop at close enough. And I'm going to leave Paul, one of the big wigs of the early church, to have the final word today. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we're changed into His glorious image. Hey, love you guys. Can't wait to be with you again virtually from the great nation of Westralia. Out.